Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. I want to talk a little bit about this um, series first, because uh, I've been, in, uh, not interning, uh, on placement here at Encounter, and as part of that placement, I had the privilege of preparing the sermon series that we were going to do for the next, like, 12-ish weeks, something like that. Um, and this series in particular had come out of a prophetic word that was spoken over this church. And that prophetic word was that a new Pentecost was coming for the church. And we believe that uh, revival is coming to the church. And that means that God is awakening his Holy Spirit among the people in order to bring new spiritual life to his church. And throughout COVID, we've reached the end of ourselves again and again. And I know you're probably sick of hearing about COVID at this point because it's been three years of some of the worst stuff unimaginable. Um, But what I mean when I say we've come to the ends of ourselves is that um, the spiritual bankruptcy of this culture and the spiritual dryness of the church has been fully revealed throughout the COVID period. And our desire for the transcendent has been replaced with the desire for entertainment, has been replaced with the desire to uh, be able to control our own situations. And while entertainment isn't wrong or evil in itself, I want to say that it's distracting us from the true purpose that we were created for. And it's distracting us from something we desperately need. And that's something we desperately need is mystery. And that's something that we desperately need is the unknown and the transcendent. And that's something we desperately need is the Spirit of God. And it's in this space, in this space of spiritual need, the seeds for revival get sown. But we have to want it to grow. We have to want revival. And my question is, do we want revival in the church or are we content without it? And Leonard Ravenhill says, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. So if we want revival in our church, it doesn't start with better preaching, thank goodness. It doesn't start with better musicians and it doesn't even start with better coffee. It starts in our hearts and it starts with personal renewal and personal renewal looks like discipleship. And we've just had a whole four-week series about discipleship, and I know you guys are like, "Uh, we did Monday Invaders, how is that related? Um, The church getting out of Sunday, discipleship. Bible reading, discipleship. Being in the community, discipleship. Being all about being real, discipleship. All of those things, discipleship. We just put it in a package that said Monday Invaders. (laughs) And the reason I'm talking about revival today is because Pentecost is the first revival of the church. And Pentecost is today. (laughs) Um, And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit gave the church the power and authority that it needed to fulfill the mission of God that it it was given by Jesus. And the first revival started with the Holy Spirit working through Peter and the other disciples. And I want to talk a little about Peter, um, because Peter is someone that is pretty easy to empathize with. And he feels like this relatable disciple, because p- part of it's because he's the disciple that gets like, the most mentioned and the most like, talked about within all of the Gospels. Um, and although he's mentioned in Luke, the first time that we meet him, it feels like a little bit of a drama. Um, he goes, oh, 
man, Jesus, like I've been, I've been working all night and like we've had our nets out all night, but like, okay, because you said so, because it's you, we'll just, we'll go out and get the nets. And then it's just like this big load of fish comes out and he's like, oh, Jesus, oh, get away from me because I'm sinful. Keep away from me. I mean, that's, it's a little bit dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> and I think this is why it's supposed to be relevant to us. And before you get offended, I'm not calling all of us drama queens, what I'm saying is, he's the most human of the disciples, and he's the most represented, and certainly, he's the most flawed. He's the classic Sunday school kid with all the right answers and none of the right actions. And I did um, kids ministry here for like two years, and I can tell you, we, there are kids that you just talk to in Sunday school, and you're just like, oh my goodness, you have all of the right answers, you have all the correct stuff, and then they'll get up, and they'll pick up a bowl, and they'll throw it at the smallest child's head. And you're just like... Why would you do that? And, and so this is, the, this is what we get uh, from Peter. So let me just give you like a little brief, like the journey of Peter through the Gospels. He agrees to follow Jesus and he sees him heal the blind, the lame and the sick. He watches him feed the poor, cast out demons and raise the dead. Okay. Uh, he gets sent out with the other apostles to preach about the kingdom of God. And he's always curious about what the parables mean, and he's always asking questions. He's with Jesus when he prays, when he sleeps, and when he eats. And he identifies Jesus as the Messiah before anyone else. Pretty big claim to fame. He watches Jesus be transfigured with Moses and Elijah. Also, whoa. So Peter seems like the perfect guy to be the perfect disciple. If you imagine he's just got like this halo thing going on, Jesus is just like, man, you're the greatest. And while he did do some cool stuff, and he said some good stuff, he also sinks when he walks on water with Jesus because he fears the circumstances more than he trusts Jesus. But to be fair, if I'm walking on the water with Jesus and it's raining and stuff all around, I'm probably also going to be like, okay, this seems like a really big deal and I think I'm also going to be sinking right about now. He tries to contain the miracle of the, of the transfiguration because he doesn't understand the purpose of it. Um, Pretty big deal, Moses and Elijah coming down. I think I would be the same if you've ever met a celebrity and then like three other celebrities appear around them and you're just standing there like, ah, 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 ah. that would be me at the transfiguration. So at the very least, Peter had something to say. He falls asleep while Jesus prays for strength in his coming execution. And he even tempts Jesus to walk away from the mission he's on because he loves Jesus so much. And that's a pretty big deal, so I want to give some context and unpack it a little bit. So Peter confesses Jesus is the Messiah, and he's told he's going to give it, given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and then his friend, Jesus, tells Peter he must suffer and die. Now, I don't know about you, but if my friend was just like, man, you're like the greatest, and I'm, all my stuff that I have is going to be yours, and they go, also, I have to go and die and suffer a bunch now, I would do what Peter did and say, no way, that's totally not going to happen. God will totally like get you out of this. You're totally going to be fine. Don't worry about it at all. It's not going to happen. And so Jesus comes face to face with the same temptation he has in the desert in Luke chapter 4, which is give up the, earth, the heavenly mission that you have and stay for the earthly power and the earthly authority and earthly good that you can do here. And this failure is magnified further by Peter when Jesus approaches the cross and Peter goes, oh, don't know that dude at all. No idea who that is three times. Peter knows what he's supposed to do, but he reacts with fear instead of with faith. And finally, in shame, he runs back to the life he had before he met Jesus. Fortunately, though, his story doesn't end here. 
And for us, if we're relating to Peter, I saw it isn't in there either. Because all of that stuff is what Peter makes relatable, is what makes Peter relatable to us. He's not this perfect disciple. He's not the most educated. He's not the most holy. He's not even the most faithful. When we fall back into our habits of sin, we get to look as, as, to Peter as an example for our discipleship. He knew he was flawed. He knew he didn't have it all together. He didn't pretend like he was the perfect disciple and it was in the flaws, in the untogetherness, in his imperfections that Jesus chose him to be the rock on which he's going to build his church. And this is my first point for today. Jesus will use our failures and flaws to build his church. The story for Peter continues after Jesus gets resurrected in John chapter 21. Three times, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter says, yes. And Jesus goes, cool, I'm going to give you a new thing to do then. And in this short passage, Jesus redeems Peter, recommissions him to lead and build the church. And maybe you've done something to someone you can't no longer apologize to, either because they're not here anymore or they just refuse to talk to you. Maybe you said something to hurt or did something to hurt someone that you love. Or maybe you just feel like Jesus couldn't possibly love someone as damaged and as flawed as you. But if Jesus can restore someone who tempts him, denies him, and runs from him, he can restore you too. Because Jesus loves you right where you are, despite your failures, despite your flaws, and he is not just willing but able to forgive you for all of them. So after Peter's restored back into the good graces of Jesus, Jesus opens the apostles' mind to understand the scriptures and then tells them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and ascends to heaven. Okay. But it's at this point Peter assumes his role as leader of the disciples and they pray and they wait patiently. And now we get to the event of Pentecost. I'm hoping you're still with me. I've just done a lot of info dumping. So we're going to do like a quick recap of Jesus' life as the person in the gospel. Peter's a model of uh, discipleship for us because he's relatable. He's relatable because he isn't perfect, just as we aren't perfect. He's deeply flawed, but it's in these flaws that Jesus works. And Peter, the redeemed disciple, is now the leader of the apostles, and together they've been praying and waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. It's the start of the Christian church. It's where the message of Jesus went viral, not the bad viral, the like YouTube viral. The Spirit of God comes down to the disciples who are hanging out together and they all start speaking in tongues. And I want to pause for a second just to note the way the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. Because in Numbers, when the Spirit comes upon the elders, it's not with a rushing wind or tongues of fire, but in a cloud of glory. And when the Spirit rests on Jesus, it descends like a dove. So why here does the Spirit come with wind and fire? Firstly, it's to fulfill what John said in Luke chapter 3, verse 16 which was about Jesus coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. But secondly, it was to gather the people outside of the building. God wanted the people to see the Holy Spirit poured out and then prepare the stage for Peter to preach. It's important to recognize this because when we desire an encounter with the Holy Spirit and when we desire to be filled with the Spirit, which we should desire, it's not likely to be with a great washing wind and a fire or to come with speaking in tongues, although it might happen that way. But it happened this way because there was a purpose to be revealed in the, this outpouring. 
And I want to tell you, if you have a gift from the Holy Spirit, and if you've been filled with the Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's for a purpose. It's not so that you just can sit on Sunday and go, whew, I can speak in tongues, I can prophesy. It's because you have a gift that you need to use for the church and for the people in your community and the people around you. And that is why you have the gift. So use it. The Holy Spirit had to be there in order for this to happen, in order for the gospel to be preached to all nations. It didn't happen because Peter wanted it to, and it didn't happen because the disciples were like, all right, we're done waiting, time to preach the gospel, we'll hope the Holy Spirit turns up. It happened because Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to to Peter and the disciples, and then they started preaching. And that can happen to us today too. And it's at this point that Peter preaches the good news about Jesus. And there's this big sermon that Peter preaches, and it's all about uh, the... Man, I'm going to get into it in a second. But, like, it's really, really good, like, first sermon from not Jesus, like, quality. Um, But he empowers... The Holy Spirit empowers Peter to speak. And this is the same Peter who stops trusting while Jesus walks on water. It's the same Peter who wants to confine the transfiguration to the mountain. The same Peter who tempts Jesus. The same Peter who betrays and denies Jesus at his execution is the same person the Holy Spirit will use to build his church. And this is my second point for today. And if you're a note taker, write this one down. The Holy Spirit transforms our hearts for renewal. Peter isn't transformed into a leader overnight. He doesn't suddenly wake up and is his perfect disciple. Because we can see three years of trouble and struggle, of temptation and failure. But through all of Peter's flaws, the Holy Spirit is working through him for this Pentecost moment. Jesus plants his seeds for revival and will renewal in Peter's heart as he journeys with him. But it takes Peter three years of full-time discipleship with Jesus to get to Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is what transforms Peter from a fearful fisherman to a bold apostle. And it can transform your heart too. And as we listen to the sermon Peter speaks, here we see the Holy Spirit at work through the entire thing. It's poured out upon the disciples, allowing them to speak the wonders of God to all of the nations. It empowers Peter to speak with authority and it reveals the mystery of Scripture to those who are listening. You remember how Jesus opened their minds to the entire mystery of Scripture? Peter does that in his sermon to everybody. And the Holy Spirit is what allows him to do it. It was present throughout Jesus' ministry, and then it pierces the hearts of those who are listening. Not because Peter's compelling, but because the words he carries, the the words he speaks carries with them the weight and the power of the Holy Spirit. It sparks the flame of revival by exposing the hearts of those who are listening to the renewing work of Jesus. Hear the response of the crowd, though, at at the end of Peter's sermon. What shall we do? How do we respond? Or, Peter, you've exposed the very depths of our sin. You've laid bare our fellows and flaws, and you've told us that what we're doing was never going to be enough to bring back the kingdom of God. So what are we supposed to do now? And when the Holy Spirit meets us, this is the question we ask. What are we supposed to do? How do we respond? This weight I'm bearing is too heavy for me. What am I supposed to do with it? And this is my third and final point for tonight. We need to cultivate a desperate need for Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to be really clear that I do not mean read your Bible more. I don't mean pray more. I don't mean take a longer Sabbath or spend more time in devotions. Because those things are great. But just doing more stuff so that you can feel like you are doing more stuff for Jesus, doesn't build your relationship with Jesus. 
Let me put it this way. If you're practicing an instrument, it's not helpful to just play until you can't play anymore. I attempted to do this when I attempted to learn guitar. All it did was make me hate guitar. I got frustrated that I wasn't getting better, and then I reinforced my bad habits. And then when I went to my teacher, he went, huh, nothing has changed in the last week. And so just doing more to try and get more doesn't get you more. It just gets you tired. So fall in love with Jesus again. Let the Holy Spirit do the transforming work that it's supposed to do in your life. Because if doing things for Jesus is keeping you from him, maybe it's time to return to the source. Maybe it's time to interrogate the motives behind why you are doing the things for Jesus. So I can be accepted in my church family. So I can be accepted in my family. So I can feel like I'm a good Christian. Maybe it'll take away the guilt and shame that I feel for the bad things that I've done and the hurt that I've caused in people's lives. Maybe I'm doing these things because I am desperate for the Holy Spirit in my life, but I don't, know, I don't know what to do, so all I'm going to do is keep pressing in and pushing in. What are your motives behind why you are doing the things that you're doing? Is it just because Mike tells you so, or Jen tells you so, or someone on the stage tells you so? It's not a good enough reason. You need to sit and listen to what Jesus has to say, what the Spirit has to say. Start building intimacy in your relationship with him. It's a relationship, not a transaction. There's always going to be other work days, other parties, other family gatherings and other church services, but our time with Jesus is precious. We need to sit still, slow down, because there is enough time to do everything in our lives, but the busyness of our culture tells us there's not. There's absolutely enough time to do everything you need to do and still get your rest time with God. There's absolutely enough time to do all the things you need to do and still have the rest time with God. Problem is we want to be doing too many things at once. I want to study, I want to work, I want to have the amazing perfect career before I'm 30 and I want to get married in that time and I want to have kids in that time and I want to have a house by that time and everyone around you is going, yeah, that's great, go ahead and do it. And God's going, you want all the blessing I have for your life in 10 years? All of the blessing in 10 years. That's not possible. So what's got to go? The blessing that I have to give you or the blessing that you want to take? We don't get revival without renewal. And we don't get renewal without a desperate need for the Holy Spirit and for Jesus. And I've got to be honest, as the church, and I'm talking big C church, we've taken our eyes off of the mission and off of Jesus and we focus them on what we need to do and what our job is. We've taken it off of the big prize and we've gone, what's, what can I create? What can I make? What's the blessing that I can take for myself instead of what's the blessing God's wanting to give us? Because every time I come to preach, I freak out and I'm insecure about the message and I get insecure about my ability and I wrestle with the fear of being good enough to speak. And I get this way because I'm relying on myself to do the work. I rely on my intelligence, my wisdom, my understanding of the Bible. It's because I want to craft this perfect knowledge that's going to impact people. But the Spirit of God is what empowers the words of a preacher. And it's the Spirit of God that empowers you too. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus and when we only call on the Holy Spirit to empower us on a Sunday, when we live as though we don't need God, we rob ourselves of spiritual authority. 
And this is why we need to cultivate a desperate need for Jesus in the Holy Spirit, because the world, your workplace and your communities need the power of God in them. And it needs you to use the spiritual authority that you've been given to declare the kingdom of God is here. It is now. It is available for them. And our communities are desperate for Jesus. They're desperate for the Holy Spirit. But the church isn't anymore because they've got it. The church has got Jesus. It's got the Holy Spirit. And we're more than happy and more than content to keep it to ourselves and to keep it to our Sundays. And the Jewish people did the same thing to the Gentiles. They were the chosen people of God. They were the beloved possession of God. And instead of declaring the salvation of the world, the salvation of God to the world, they crucified him. And they kept the holiness of the priests and the power of God was only meant for the prophets, not for the people. But then here comes this man forgiving sins, doing signs and wonders. And they were angry he was showing and giving the power of God to sinners. It's not reserved for the holiest of holies anymore. It's available to people like Peter. The Holy Spirit isn't a prized possession we lock away and keep to ourselves. It's something to be unleashed upon people, upon communities. And we need to cultivate our desire and our desperate need for the Spirit in our lives because your communities need the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's not a secondary support system for your life. It's not a pacemaker for your life, and it's not life support that just keeps you going. It has to be our very heart. It has to be the blood that pumps through our body. It has to be the life-giving breath in our lungs. From the Holy Spirit we work, and from the Holy Spirit we study, and then from the Holy Spirit we thrive in relationships. And if we're only desperate for the Holy Spirit when we need the Holy Spirit, we will find our lives like the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if we only want the Holy Spirit when it's convenient for us in our busy schedules, we find the Holy Spirit is absent from our daily lives. If we want to see renewal in our lives and we want to see revival in our city, we have to cultivate this desperate need for the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to do more in order to do this, but we need to change the attitude that we have towards our purpose. We need to critically assess the desires of our hearts. And so as we continue this series throughout the next four weeks, I want you to keep asking yourself these questions. Am I desperate for the Holy Spirit to move through me? Am I desperate for an encounter with Jesus? Am I desperate to see my friends and family know the love of Jesus? And am I desperate for revival? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just... We need your spirit, Lord. We need your spirit in our lives, its presence and its power, Lord. Not for our glory, but for your glory. Not to, present, to push forward our kingdom, but your kingdom, God. Oh, we pray your Holy Spirit is poured out in this place, Lord. That his presence is felt heavily in this place, God. And that it's not just resting in this place, but it's being carried by each person into their workplaces, into their families, to their friends, Lord. Lord, we pray for revival in this place. And before revival can happen, we know renewal can happen. So, Lord, I pray for renewal in the hearts of the people sitting here today, the people watching online, Lord. Lord, come in power. Come with authority. 
bless us with your spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.